Just before we jump into our passage this morning, I want to say a word about our plans in the coming week. As of this moment when I'm recording, the information from the governor's office is less than 24 hours old, so we still need to have some conversation on these things. The health of our congregation and concern for our neighbors are very important to us as pastors and leaders, and we want to weigh the decisions ahead of us very thoughtfully and prayerfully. So this week, just watch uh, your emails and, and social media for how we're going to proceed in the coming weeks, and we appreciate your prayers. Second, I want to remind you that we're going to be taking part in communion after the message this morning. So if you haven't already done so, please take a moment and gather a small piece of bread or a cracker and some juice, and you'll be prepared for that ahead of time. And then finally, as I shared with you a couple weeks ago, uh, from midnight on Wednesday, May 20th until midnight on Thursday, May 21st, we're going to hold a 24-hour Ascension Day prayer vigil. You may recall that in Acts chapter 1, right after Jesus' ascension, the disciples went to Jerusalem and gathered together for a time of prayer. They waited on the Holy Spirit as Jesus had instructed them. And that's what we want to do during this prayer vigil. So we invite you to sign up for a half-hour time slot or more. And we're going to send you some instructions on on how best to, to use that time and what to pray for. We hope you'll join us in prayer on that day. Simply follow the links if you're interested to the communication card on this streaming page or on Facebook or in that Bible app live event that we have for you each week. And let us know you're interested and we'll email you more details and a link on how to sign up for the prayer vigil. <clears throat> the healing we see at work in Acts chapter 3 that we just heard read is the first miracle performed by the apostles after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension. And that's important. Again, as a reminder, the author of the book of Acts is Luke, who was also the author of the gospel that bears his name. And Luke refers back to his gospel in the first verse of the book of Acts when he writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. The implication is that now in the book before us, the book of Acts, Luke will write about what Jesus continued to do and to teach in and through the apostles and again by implication in and through us too. The good news we're celebrating this morning comes to us from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 where we are told that, that God who has begun a good work in you, plural, so in us, God will carry that work on to completion. So our good news is simply this, God always finishes what he starts. God always finishes what he starts. It may not look like what we always thought it would look like, but in the end, it is the answer to our best dreams and our truest prayers. It may not happen as quickly as we might like. In fact, I'm pretty sure it won't. But God will complete the work he has begun in us. What God started in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he will move toward completion in and through us. We see this in the fact that this healing in Acts chapter 3 bears important similarities to one Luke recorded in his gospel, chapter 5, verses 17 to 25. There, Jesus is teaching and people are crowding around him and Luke says, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and because they couldn't get through the crowds to Jesus, they went up on the roof, they tore a hole in it and lowered their friend down before Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. This, of course, ticked off the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, which was kind of the point, I think. Beyond the, the good this healing did for the paralyzed man, Jesus intended it to demonstrate something about the purposes of God, the presence of God's kingdom in the world, and the direction toward which all things are headed. 
The religious leaders thought to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. The passage reads, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Notice, Jesus gives us the reason for the healing. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus healed this man because he wanted to demonstrate God's presence and purposes. He healed him to proclaim and demonstrate the coming of the strong and unshakable kingdom of God in, our, in their midst. So this is one of the things Jesus began to do and to teach. And now, in Acts chapter 3, we experience what Jesus continues to do and teach through his apostles when they go out and do the same kinds of things he did. God is at work in them, finishing what he started in Jesus. But if you're going to get a more, if we're going to get a more complete picture of what Jesus was doing through the Apostle, Peter's, Apostle Peter and John in, in our passage, we need to hit a couple of other places in the Hebrew Scriptures. In Isaiah 35, God speaks a strong and beautiful word of hope for those who are in exile in Babylon and, and, and they long to return home. They were sent into exile by God in 586 or 587 BC as judgment for their sins, but now they've been there a long time and they've begun to wonder if God will ever hear their cries, if God will ever forgive them and, and bring them home. In the opening verses of that chapter, Isaiah prophesies that the desert will be transformed. It will, it's, gonna, it's thirst will be quenched. It's going to burst into bloom. The glory of the Lord will be displayed. And since God is about to do these amazing things, Isaiah commands them to get ready. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those fearful heart with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come, he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will save you. God promises to deliver his people from exile, to bring them back home, and he tells them they need to be ready. They need to be training for the World Vision Global 6K, only in their case, it's a marathon. There's more to God's deliverance than a return to the land. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy, verses 5 and 6 tell us. Now, as far as we know, there were no healings of this sort that happened to the people of God when they returned to the land. Likewise, if we were to read on in Isaiah 35, we would see that God promised other things that didn't happen when his people returned from exile. The burning sand did not become a pool. It did not bubble up with spring water. And grass and reeds and papyrus did not grow in the desert as they marched their way back to Jerusalem. No, something else is going on here. God, through Isaiah, is speaking prophetically and poetically. But what is he saying? One more passage for some background here. In Exodus 29, verses 38 to 41, and a couple other places in the Hebrew Scriptures, God gives instructions on sacrifices that were to be made twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. After giving instructions on these sacrifices, God says what he will do in response. He says, So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. 
Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. Do these things. Do these things, God says. Make these sacrifices each day and I will dwell among you in the tent of meeting and later in the temple. These evening sacrifices were to take place at twilight and this is about the time Peter and John have gone to the temple at the time of prayer in Acts chapter 3. This is what we read there. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. The title of this morning's sermon comes from that extensive quote from Frederick Buechner that I shared with you a couple weeks ago. Right in the middle of that quote, on the nature of God's kingdom, Frederick Buechner writes this, The kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. The kingdom of God is where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. And as I consider this man in Acts chapter 3, I think he might have described what he most longed for and what he came to experience in just that way. His best dreams and his truest prayers happened to him in Acts chapter 3. In verse 2, we're told that he had been unable to walk from birth. We we find out later in chapter 4 that he was more than 40 years old. Now I want you to imagine what, this, what life was like for this man in that day and age where his condition was so misunderstood. It was seen uh, by many as, as some kind of punishment from God. It, it's something that would exclude him from anything approaching a normal life. And as we'll see, it also excluded him from the temple itself. Imagine his isolation and pain and loneliness. I think it is more than fair to say that the kingdom that takes shape in front of him and in his life was indeed made up of his best dreams and his truest prayers. In this first healing performed by the apostles, we discover the kingdom of God taking shape in the world in three seismic shifts. Three seismic shifts. As we saw in Exodus, God promised to dwell among his people on earth in the tent of meeting and then in the temple. In the coming of Christ, Emmanuel, which means God with us, God has dwelt among us in the flesh in a new and better way than he did in the temple. And now as Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of the evening sacrifice, the sacrifices God promised to bless with his presence as he dwelt among them, maybe Luke wants us to make the connection that the God who dwelt among his people in the temple and then in Christ now dwells among us in and through the apostles and in and through those of us who know him today. Now, one very important way God is with us in the 21st century is through his people, the body of Christ, the church. So this, the first of these three seismic shifts we see uh, as the kingdom of God takes shape in the world is that God has moved from residing in the temple to residing in us. God has moved from residing in the temple to residing in us. And, and, and by residing in us, I mean not only in you and me as individuals, but even more so, God is residing in you and me and our sisters and brothers as a community, as the church of Jesus Christ. God has moved from residing in the temple to residing in us. We are those in whom Christ dwells and delights. But there's a second seismic shift going on. In Leviticus 21.17, God told Moses that no one with a physical defect may come near to the place where sacrifices were made in the temple. There are nuances to this passage that we don't have time to get into this morning, and no doubt there are questions many of us might have about why this was the case. However, What is most important for us at this time is that this passage was understood to exclude the man in Acts 3 
from entering the temple. It was understood as excluding this man from entering the temple. Why is that important? Luke mentions that the beggar was laid every day by the temple gate called Beautiful. Strictly speaking, there was no temple gate called Beautiful. However, there was a gate, the Nicanor Gate, which was made of Corinthian brass. And the Jewish historian Josephus said of this gate that it greatly excelled those that were only covered with silver and gold. Now, it must have been something incredible if its beauty surpassed that of gates made of silver and gold. If this is the beautiful gate Luke means, it would have been at the eastern entrance to the temple and would have led into the court of women and the court of Gentiles, two other groups who were excluded from certain parts of the temple. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When we first meet this man, he was outside the temple. Furthermore, like women and Gentiles, he wasn't even allowed inside at all. But now, after Jesus has healed this man through Peter, verse 8 tells us that he went with them into the temple. He went into the temple. So the second seismic shift in Acts 3 is that God in Christ has transferred us from isolation to community. He has transferred us from isolation to community. Once the man was forbidden to enter the temple, now whatever barriers kept him away have been removed. In the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of God's Holy Spirit, this man has gone from isolation to community. And if there's one thing I have learned through this time of the stay-at-home order. It is that I need community. I may have known it in my head, theologically speaking, before, but now I know it by experience. Isolation is difficult. And I can imagine, I am certain, that it is even more difficult for those who live alone than it is for me. And so it's good for us to know that God in Christ has transferred us from isolation to community, and He will do it again. In any play, the Russian playwright Anton Chekhov once observed. In any play, he said, quote, If in Act 1 you have a pistol hanging on the wall, then it must fire in the last act. In books, movies, plays, or television shows, if we learn to pay attention, we will discover clues about where the story is going early on. We can see this at work right down to today. The popular film Knives Out is a perfect illustration. Early on in Act 1, we are shown some things that do, in fact, come back to us in the last act. In fact, all we have to do is pay attention to the title of the film to know this is true. My wife, Kim, is incredibly good at seeing these things, these little clues. I find it a bit irritating, honestly. We'll, We'll be watching some movie and something will be said or shown, a small detail in a given scene, and she will say, that's going to be important later on. Spoilers, please. You can bet. If God shows us the lame leaping like a deer in Isaiah 35, it will be important. It will come back to us in the ministries of Jesus, his apostles, and us. So again, in verse 8, we are told not only that the man went into the temple with Peter and with John, 
but also that he went in doing what? Walking and jumping and praising God. This is Chekhov's gun on the wall in Act 1. God promised a day when the lame would leap like a deer back in Isaiah 35, and that's what the man does in Acts 3. God promised to bring his people home from exile in Isaiah 35, and in Acts 3, we see we can all come home from whatever exile we are in, from whatever has kept us outside of the temple. And I would argue that Acts 3, verses 1 through 10, is the opening curtain to the final act of God's kingdom purposes. Now, it's true, there are still plenty of scenes yet to come in this final act, but what happens in Acts 3 launches the final phase in God's plan. The kingdom of God is taking shape in the world in and through the followers of Jesus, who is the Son of God. And this gives us our third seismic shift. In Acts chapter 3, God has transformed prophetic promise into faithful fulfillment. God has transformed prophetic promise into faithful fulfillment. This is not only about the healing itself, as good as that was. This is about the way God now dwells among us. It's about coming home from exile and isolation and finding community. It's about being forgiven of our sin and entering into a new way of life in the kingdom of God. And all of those things can speak to us today. You know, at ECC, we have named uh, three touchstones to guide our ministry and our mission going forward. Welcome, transformation, and presence. We see each of these demonstrated over and over again in the ministry of the apostles. God is present to his people in the temple, then in Christ, and finally God is present to us in one another. And we are then present to others with the good news of the kingdom of God, as Peter and John were in the passage. By healing the man in Acts 3, God has welcomed into community those who formerly felt unwelcome and isolated. And as that community grows, people are being transformed. We, we see this in the closing verses of chapter 4 of the book of Acts, where all the believers were one in heart and mind. That's transformation. That's changing people from one thing into something else. That's the way the kingdom of God takes shape in Acts 3 and 4. And as it does, God's primary vehicle for his kingdom is his church, his people. In and through us, friends, God will finish what he has started. He always does. And if God always finishes what he starts, what is to be our response today? First of all, our world, our community, your own neighborhood, your own household are full of people who lie by the gate of the temple and long to be included, whether they know it or not, long to experience these three seismic shifts at work in their lives. From God as apart from us and distant from us to God with us. From isolation to community. And from prophetic promise to faithful fulfillment. Who are those people and how might you and I play the part of the apostles to them? Or perhaps some of you taking part and worshiping with us online today are the person lying by the gate, longing to enter into the temple, to be included in the community, to experience the reality of the kingdom of God on earth. Second, I don't want us to pass over the way Peter framed this healing. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Often I think we are tempted to think of that phrase, in the name of Jesus, as something we just tack on to the end of our prayers, like a magic formula or a common courtesy we owe God. But to be in the name of Jesus is something more than a catchphrase or a magic formula. To, to say that we do something in Jesus' name is to speak of who we are and where we live. 
it's almost, it's almost like a geographic reality. We who know Christ live in the strong and unshakable shakable kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. Ministry is acting in the name of Jesus. When all our actions are in the name, they will bear fruit for eternal life. To act in the name of Jesus, however, doesn't mean to act as a representative of Jesus or as his spokesperson. It means to act in an intimate communion with him. The name is like a house, a tent, a dwelling. To act in the name of Jesus, therefore, means to act from the place where we are united with Jesus in love. To the question, where are you? We should be able to answer, I am in the name. Then whatever we do cannot be other than ministry because it will always be Jesus himself who acts in and through us. The final question for all who minister is, are you in the name of Jesus? When we can say yes to that, all of our lives will be ministry. So let me ask you, are you in the name of Jesus? Do you live there? Do you dwell in Christ? Are you united to Christ in love? If you have never made the decision to respond to Christ's invitation in faith, and you want to know more about what that means or how to do that, would you do me a favor and simply like the comment here in the left, my left, your right, the comment that says, I want to know more about what it means to know God, follow Jesus, and pursue God's purposes in the world. That's on Facebook. If you're not watching on Facebook, simply send us an email at ecc at ecclife.net and let us know you want to know more about knowing and following Christ or, or, or follow the link to the communication card and let us know by checking the box there. We'd love to reach out to you and have a conversation. Friends, in Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and in the coming of the Holy Spirit, what God began is now headed toward completion in and through us. Make no mistake, as was the case with Peter and John, the kingdom work you and I do is in fact Jesus at work in and through us. The way the kingdom of God takes shape in the world in large part is through us, Christ's people, those who are in the name. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I now lift up to you all those who are taking part this day. I lift each of us up to you, Lord, that we would ask that question, are we in the name? For those who are not yet sure of that, Lord, I pray you'd give them the boldness, the humility to reach out and ask for clarification, ask for prayer. I pray for all of us, O oh God, wherever we are in our walk with you, that we would begin to see anew that we are in fact in the name, that we are in fact a part of your plan that in and through us, Lord God, you accomplish amazing things. And I pray, Lord, as we journey the, uh, the path that we're on right now, in this time of restrictions, in this time of uncertainty, that you would give us a vision for how to walk it well, how to walk it faithfully, and how to be the people who represent the kingdom of God in our lives, in all of our relationships, Lord. I pray that we would know how to do that now and that we would know how to do that in the future. We ask your spirit, Lord God, to fill us and flow through us. We ask your spirit, Lord God, to speak to us through the prayer vigil that is coming up. And we pray that whatever we do this day, wherever we step out this day, that it would in fact be ministry because we do it as those who live, who dwell in the name. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.